and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Very good, Gavin. I'm, I'm glad to have American Gavin with us. Yeah, I, I was trying to uh, keep it calm, good keep old, it together. Good old Quaker Gavin. Yes, and that's, silence. That's not a joke for people that don't know. Gavin uh, is was actually raised Quaker. Indeed. Yes. A little trivia fact. There you go. You and Richard Nixon. <laughs> that, that was a, a fun trivia bit. My dad used to always uh, tell me, you know, Andrew, Richard Nixon was a Quaker. I'm like, oh, there you go. The there more you, you know. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so we're both having uh, interesting weeks and uh, interesting days. And yeah, I'm just super happy to be here recording with you, my man. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Yeah. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm, do you, do I'm in you a care good to place. Share? What was that? Do you care to share? You know what? All I care to share is that there's going to be a lot of focus on the podcast <laughs> in the immediate future. I'm going to be putting a lot of my efforts into this and, you know, getting the website finally up and running. Hopefully we'll be getting a YouTube channel uh, going sooner rather than later. And, because it's interesting. The more articles I read, actually, did you know YouTube is the number one platform for podcast listening? I think I do. As oh, because uh, I sent you that article. Week, yes. Yeah. And so, and I've known what a high percentage it is. I didn't realize it was the number one. But on top of that, when we were at LA Comic Con, everyone was asking us, are you on YouTube, bro? Are you on YouTube? I was like, well, no, we're, you know, I mean, I know some podcasts are and do the visual element, but for us, just logistically, it's kind of hard right now. And a lot of people are talking about what was repeated in this article that I sent Gavin, just about how so many people like to actually watch their hosts because it gives them a better sense of connection, you know, just to see the facial expressions, to see when they're laughing and this and that. And we'd love to do that, but it's a matter of A, Still, for example, we, we, our sound quality is pretty good right now. We're recording mm-hmm. remotely on a budget. That being said, I'm recording in my closet. And so, you know, that visual element, it's kind of silly to, I guess I could try to outfit my closet, which is one possibility. But, uh, so we got it, you know, I have a wonderful loft upstairs in my house, which is decked out with all my cool stuff. The only problem is that's where I started recording and it's just so echoey because it's a mm-hmm. loft office space. There's no, I mean, there's no enclosed area, so you've got the stairs right behind it, and it's just so open that it's echoey. And then I thought maybe my garage, but once again, it's too big and open, so we'll figure it out. But yeah, we're going to try to get YouTube up and going, try to get that visual element. Most likely, not TikTok, just because I don't really like what, you know, TikTok and... Yeah, but otherwise, uh, I'm in a good place right now, my man. Excellent. I'm drinking some coffee. I need a little coffee pick-me-up. And I apologize to everyone. I am extremely parched today. I did my third hot yoga class this week. And yeah, I just need uh, some some water. So you're going to hear my obnoxious water bottle with ice every once in a while. But you know what? what? That's my health tip for the day. Stay hydrated, folks, and drink lots of water. <laughs> Just good old playing water. Well. Well. But so, so, like, so basically, we're recording this uh, later in the week than usual. Yes. Or, yeah, we're later in the week than usual and later in the day than usual to accommodate my, like, bouncing around schedule this afternoon. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I might sound awkward here or there and my jokes might not land but 
we have a really fun episode, one that uh, that, kind of made me rack my brains a few times, and I keep changing what my answers are. Likewise. So I'm glad we actually hit a recording time because the original recording time of one, uh, between one and four, my list grew and shifted and morphed multiple times. Excellent. That's good. I mean, and we've talked about that. That's how our lists go. We're constantly changing and evolving. Excuse me. And this one is very interesting because I got a sneak peek at Gavin's. He hasn't had a sneak peek of mine, but I, I think we're both on a similar trajectory in the fact that instinctively, when you think about the theme of our episode, you would think it'd be one specific type of film, but actually not. Uh, our lists are both all over the place and once again, it's our personal choices. So I feel like some people are going to love our list. Other people are probably going to unsubscribe and boycott us. And that's okay because that's their right. Just like it's our right to make our lists. And, so, and you know, I'm, I'm worried that you're saying that because of my list since you've nope, seen it. Nope, nope, nope. Mine mine also has some interesting – and I had I, w- I had one that I took off at the last second. And I, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. We – we mentioned uh, one little difference between ours, which we'll bring up later. But first, before we get into the episode and the listicle, as they like to say, any exciting news? Well, I will say that this week I have really cracked open uh, the book, Where the Cobra 2, Welcome to the Kumite. You know, we, we originally uh, picked up this the first the the first installment by uh, our guest Sean Kanan and you know since we we're gonna have him on the air I'm like well you know if we're gonna have someone on the air I'm gonna read the whole book before just in case we're uh, you know promoting something that might not be in line with us but um, obviously the first book went well I'm well into the second book and the chapter I'm on actually has a segment on uh, the topic of today's podcast i'm like all right well there you go I glad i'm reading it this say, week there's a section on our podcast oh, no, no. oh heck yeah <laughs> <laughs> one of the highlights of his career yes ooh, ooh, ooh. You, you. You, you. Uh, anyway so i'm reading that i'm having a good time i uh uh you know i kind of have been putting my nose into looking at old films and reminding myself of of the old films that or the classic films that are going to inform this list so i'm not as up to speed on any new news although i will say on twitter scott atkins and michael jai white were posting about working on a project together with tim mann as the fight choreographer so Mm -hmm. uh that's exciting the last time the three of them collaborated if i'm not mistaken would have been the first accident man film so uh yeah yeah Yeah. it'll be interesting to see what they are working on so yeah that's was one of my main uh little news bits i had uh they just dropped a teaser trailer today for cobra kai season the final season oh yeah so season Six Five or six, six. Are you? Have you watched it yet? Any of them? No, I mean I've watched. I know, I, I know. Oh. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> you got. See, your jokes are still. You still got it. You still got it. I uh, still got it. They still don't land. Yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so yeah, the most the new season. It's like a teaser trailer, and I feel like I saw some new clips in there, but it was predominantly clips from the last you know, four or five seasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but I mean, the good news is we're getting the next season. It is going to be the final season, which I'm happy about. Yes. Because once again, and just like the cast, they're all like, yeah, we're down for one more, but you know, it's time to wrap it up. It's, you know, the perfect story arc. Like that's the way to do it. And 
Yeah, so happy to see that. Uh, obviously, the trailer for Donnie Yen Sakura has been making the rounds. Looks super cool. Still no word yet on a U.S. release. Hmm. Uh, I, I know Sony will pick. Obviously, Wellgo USA will pick it up and release it, at least in the major cities. So I will definitely be driving to either L.A. or San Francisco when that comes out because it looks like a very interesting take on the wuxia genre. And from what I've heard, it's still it's like Donnie's hard-hitting style action within nice. a wuxia setting which is cool obviously you're, you have a little more of the fantasy there's some special effects he seems to have some kind of like chi haruken powers but <laughs> you know for the most part if i'm getting some grounded action mixed with that and some cool wire work i'm down i'm down for a good time is that that sounds great hopefully it's playing in la near monterey park so we can uh grab some great uh, my man dim yeah some tell you what though you still need to get your butt up here because i do and I now found, you're closer yeah i found we have this super uh, you know, free free plug for this restaurant in Fresno, Little Fat Dumpling, which is one of Ooh. the best dumpling places I've found outside of China. Really, it's authentic. They're all from the mainland. Very nice people. Very authentic. And the reason that it's so great is, yeah, it's a little, small little hole-in-the-wall place. Actually, in a really nice shopping center, though. There's not a ton of tables. We've always been able to get one when we go there. But it's not like L.A. where this place would be our weight. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, yeah, I know. I know. That's how it goes. I know quite well. In Monterey Park, usually the restaurants are bigger. So mm-hmm. every time we've gone, we usually can get in there pretty fast, if not right away. But then you've got other ones, like one of my favorite restaurants. Once again, another plug for Pine and Crane in LA, really authentic Taiwanese food. That's, you know, one you're going to have to hit at the right time. Or if they allow, I forget if they allow reservations. I don't think they do. You know, so sometimes it's a bummer when you're trying to time your dinner and stuff. So, but anywho, you got to get up here. Got to get sensei up here. Maybe do a seminar or two. Get some little fat dumpling. Sounds good to me. Sounds good all around. So, uh, that's kind of the news going on. Do you have any quotes for me today? I do have a quote for you. It's, I think it's a little obvious, but you know what? I uh, can I felt- use obvious today. I, as I said, okay. I've had a very eventful week of very kind of, uh, not emotionally charged day, but you know, I made a big decision. I pulled the trigger on something. And so, you know what? I'm, I'm in a chill mood. I'm in a happy mood, but maybe not in the, uh, highest brain functioning mood. So let's see what you got for me, my man. It's okay to lose to opponent must not lose to fear. One of my all-time favorite quotes, uh, and it's perfect for today's episode. It is obviously Mr. Miyagi from the end of Karate Kid. Uh, That's yes, you got it yeah, right. Yeah. Karate Kid, what? Which one? Well, well, you were staring at me like mid-sentence, like I was going to mess something up. <laughs> no, but you didn't mess it up. I just felt like I I broke up the. I mean, it's it's in broke. It's written in broke. You know, the quote's right. broken English, and like the way I read it, I'm like, is that is that not appropriate? No, that's, I mean, that's how he says it. Yeah. But wait, it's, it's Karate Kid part three. Yes, there you go. Yeah, okay. I was like, because you, you cut me off as if it was supposed to be number one. I was like, no, that's against my part, no, no, part the, the, three. See, th- this is why we need to be on YouTube. The facial reaction was my, <laughs> like, going back in time, like, by 10 seconds saying, like, did I read that appropriately? Oh, I see. No, yeah. I, I mean, you did a good Miyagi impression. But and then remember, people forget, Pat Morita was doing a, an impression the whole time of he based it off of Fumio Demura. Yes. The, you know, the the karate, the very famous karate master. Uh, I'm, I mean, so I, I wouldn't call it a character, anyway. but, you know, 
Wait, way fine. to steal the steam of my way to steal your steam of getting this quote right right oh. off the bat. Well, yeah. So I love that quote though because especially for anybody that's competed in any sort of uh, martial arts or contact, you know. And I feel like it's kind of like something you know. I, I always jokingly said that my dad was kind of like a Mister Miyagi. Uh, in the sense of like the philosophies and the life lessons he teach me, you know, and similar mindset on thing. And, and that was kind of something that, you know, he would have definitely reiterated to me or, you know, there's there's no problem with losing, but you just must not lose to fear. Right. You can lose to your opponent. There's nothing wrong with that. If you give a good honorable fight, but you can't lose to fear. You can't. And as somebody that's, you know, done martial arts his whole life, competed, you know, in the ring, I've you've definitely had those moments where you're just like, Oh my God, like this, this person's, you know, dominating me, this or that, but you just got to push forward. You can't, you can't let fear get the best of you. And that's something you also have to come to terms with. If, you know, maybe you try out like, I don't know, uh, you know, you do your first smoker. Well, they don't really do smoker fights anymore. Now it's like point kickboxing. So let's say you do one of those and maybe you realize, Hey, this isn't for me. Then cool. It's not for you. You know, you'll walk away like, you know, that kind of competition isn't for you, but if it's something you truly want to do. You can't let fear get the best of you. It's it, it's really it's applicable, obviously, to 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 the competition realm. It's applicable to people like you know making a big decision like you did today and, and pulling the trigger. It's so essentially sometimes the opponent is some someone that's facing us, or the opponent is fear itself living within us. So again, it's okay to lose to opponent, must not lose to fear. I like it. Excellent quote. So tell you what, why don't you announce our episode for today? So today's episode is a listicle where we discuss our top 25, uh, I mean five, Bushido code following films. And I'm going to let, I'm going to rely on you. I thought we were doing our top five category three films. (laughs) Yeah, same same difference. Same difference. Because <laughs> oh, actually, mine are both. They're <laughs> my top three category three Bushido films. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just I, kidding. I thought you like after after what happened like two episodes ago. I thought you were gonna like no, we're doing the top. You know the other list <laughs> yeah, that the we've other been one talking we about. Like, I was gonna say the... that, but I didn't want to spoil it. So I got yeah, Gavin yeah. with his own sense of humor. So yes, today we are one. doing our top 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 five Bushido films, pretty much yes. films that talk about. The, the Bushido code or have a theme of the Bushido code or related to the Bushido code. So, Gavin, as someone that's lived in Japan, someone mm-hmm. that uh, speaks very good Japanese, and as someone that has studied Japanese martial arts before, you have done Aikido in the past. Mm-hmm. Tell us, uh, what does uh, Bushido translate as? So... It, again, like I think we've talked about this before, like when I when you come up with a translation, I know there are literal translations. It's it's like peeling an onion when it comes to uh, to understanding Japanese culture, at least for me, like once once there's an understanding, then you realize, well, I, I understand nothing and I have to go further uh, for understanding. It's just it's always it's a continuous peeling. So for me, it is Bushido or like sort of the martial way uh is a feeling like an intuitive feeling that is, you know, sort of like, I guess in like Judeo Christianity, like your, uh, your 10 commandments, your, 
your code that you live by. And, and sometimes, you know, there's samurai films that have the Bushido code, but also have a samurai code. And then there's also a Ronin code, which are like the masterless samurais, but they all have like the sense of like righteousness, courage, compassion, respect, honesty, honor, duty, loyalty, and self-control. And I think, um, it's for me, it, these when we talk about these films and the code it's when we talk about the films it's the best way to understand what the code is at least how we might interpret it my five films might show you how i interpret the code and how i try to translate that to my life or at least try to live by that code that's the cool thing about this is we're on the exact same page because i think everyone's especially in a modern sense everyone's interpretation of bushido is going to be a little bit different i mean it could be comparable to so technically like within chinese martial arts remember chinese martial arts uh, like kung fu doesn't mean martial arts like kung fu or kung fu is to be you know like hard work to you know kind of be an an expert in something through hard work just like you can you know be a, a you know, it's like the gong fu of, you know, pastry making or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's so it's, it's similar in that sense where so literally translated like Bushido is the way of the warrior. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So but with that comes a certain code of ethics, like you were mentioning, a martial code, a code of honor. And especially in a modern society, it's going to be interpreted very different ways. And I know it, it's still, I'd imagine is ingrained in Japanese culture in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and back in the past, you know, obviously there was kind of one way of looking at it. And I think that's why there's this misconception sometimes that it automatically is samurai. Oh, it's the samurai. And yes, the samurai lived by, the, you know, the Bushido code and so forth. But obviously the samurai have now been for lack of a better term, extinct for a long time. And, martial arts has evolved in that time too. And our cultures have evolved in that time. Yet the idea of Bushido, the idea of living one's life honorably to the best of one's abilities. I mean, you don't necessarily even have to be involved in martial arts for us. That's the thematic element that connects to us, obviously being that we are martial arts lovers, martial arts practitioners, but I'm really excited to go over our list today because I think when people see this, they're going to think, oh, they're just doing all samurai films. Well, actually, no, I only have one. And, you know, you think, oh, it's kind of blasphemous. But really, it's about my personal interpretation of the films that connect the most to me and how they relate to me in terms of Bushido and living my life by this honorable martial code, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's it's that's a really it's. I don't know. Basically the code itself is, is it's just like any other, so many other codes that exist. There are, it is black and white, but it's also up to your personal interpretation. And these films will show how AJ and I chart. And I I would say for me, the Bushido code is probably one of the highest codes of the land. And so for us, for me, like it kind of, it kind of shows how we should be living. So again, like just it's, it would be easy just to pick five samurai films. Yes. But then again, like as you were pointing out, it's, it doesn't only apply to samurai films and how do we, how do we apply it in our modern day life? Right. And also oh, on top please. of that, some samurai films 
actually don't really deal with the idea or theme of Bushido that much. And Correct. That's, it, just because it's automatically like I went back and was rewatching some films uh, and I'm trying to think of uh, the, the one I watched. Uh, Miyamoto Musashi. Samurai 1 Miyamoto yes. Musashi. Yeah. There we go. Uh, and even that one, great film, but it's – and obviously we're seeing – but I just didn't feel like the, the Bushido element wasn't really the prevalent aspect of the story, right? It had a great story. Technically, it's beautifully shot. But I'm I'm sitting there like, oh, well, actually, you know what? This – like it's not as Bushido heavy as I would want it to be for my list. So that's the thing. There, You know, there's plenty of classic Japanese cinema and samurai films mm-hmm. that could have made this list and others that actually it doesn't really make as much sense for them to make this list. So – now that we've kind of established the meaning of Bushido, what it means to us, do you want to kick this bad boy off, my friend? Uh, should we kick it off with a couple of honorable mentions? Oh, yes. Excellent. I totally forgot because to I, do that. I mean, no, I have my list. I forgot to yeah. get it going. What's your? What are your honorable mentions? So my honorable mentions, uh, I'm going to go with Red Belt, the David right. Mamet Penn film. Excellent. Uh, it just, you know, we I'll just mention them and we can always go back and dig into them if we want. Uh I'm actually going to mention a Western. I know that might, uh, I don't know, Shane. I think Shane has a bit of uh, Bushido element to it. I know we don't always love the reference of, oh, a Kung Fu film, a Samurai film is like a Western, but over there, because it's not. We've discussed that before. Shane! Uh, I know. For yeah. people, I guess a lot of people actually listening to this probably haven't seen Shane, but uh, classic Western. If you want to dig into that genre, definitely check out Shane. It has a great fight scene in it, like a long extended bar oh, wow. fisticuff fight scene. Uh, Blade of the Immortal. Oh, man. What a great like I, I didn't I even think that was going to be OK to put on the list. I didn't even mention on my honorable mentions, but I'm jumping on your bandwagon. Love it. And, and then the alt, the, I couldn't include, my my top five can't include all Kurosawa, so I'm, I'm dropping one off the list. Okay. And it's I'm going with Redbeard. Okay. Uh, where he, it's a, basically, Mifune plays a doctor who, uh, you just have to watch it, but it's, it's, it's a little Russian-esque, like, drama uh, with Bushido elements. It's really, it's just a really great film. And also, probably... Sorry to Above the Law with Steven Seagal. It probably has the best display of Aikido or redirection martial arts right slap dab in the middle of the film, and you wouldn't expect it. Ah, well, there you go. Okay. Okay. So my honorable mentions, uh, I have the whole Karate for Life series, as I call it. So this is Uh when Sonny Chiba was playing Masoyama. So Karate Bullfighter, Karate Bearfighter, Karate for Life. These are honorable mentions because... I still I highly enjoy these films. They're great, but just couldn't quite. And I was trying to like force a way to get a Sunny Chiba movie in there because everyone uh-huh. knows how much I love Sunny <laughs> Chiba. Yes. And they were close. But I was like, eh, not really. Uh, and on that note, one that actually dropped off my list that was on there was uh, Fighter in the Wind, the Korean mm. film about Masoyama, which very I, nice. I still feel could have very easily made my list, but it fell off at the last second, mostly because I thought, you know what? Uh, like it definitely has the Bushido code and aspect and this and that. And it's, I just, you know what? It just fell off at the last second. Uh, I've got, and I just put Kurosawa, you know, cause I don't have any on my list. Uh, and in full honesty, I had wanted this week to rewatch 
The Seven Samurai because mm-hmm. it's been over a decade since I've watched it. And I, as much as I feel it probably would have made my list, I didn't want to talk about it without having watched it more recently. That's... And because I see so many articles online, like, you know, people writing about movies specifically, I'm going to... I should say within the martial arts genre, people that don't know what they're talking about. They're not subject matter experts. And that's fine. If you are a film studies expert, you can write about things outside of your genre. I did it for school and grad school, and that's totally fine. But you can't write about things that you at least I mean, you have to at least watch the things you're writing about. I can't tell you how many times I've read an article and I'm, I get it partway through it. I'm like, they didn't watch the movie. Yep. And I know for yep. a fact they didn't watch the movie. They're they're just getting blatant things wrong. And I'm like, they also didn't do any research on this person. Like they're making assumptions that are totally false, not opinions. Like these are facts they're getting wrong and just throwing out random things. So I just didn't feel like it was fair for me to put it on there without having watched it more recently. Okay. Uh, I also have Ninja Turtles. The first one. Oh, I, I feel like, like the first yes. Ninja Turtles movie has a lot of Bushido type elements in it. And I felt it would have been a, a stretch to put it on the list as like a top five. But I think without a doubt, yes, they're doing it's, ninjutsu, but Master Splinter is like their, you know, their sensei. Absolutely. Living by they, that code, the, the different interpretations, what it means for each turtle, you know, just trying to live the honorable life like they study, but they're not supposed to go out and fight and et cetera, et cetera. And that, last one, I, I, I want to say that's a really good pick because Thanks. essentially what we're doing with these films is like films that teach us, not just a character who lives by it, but a film films that teach us. Uh, so that that's a great honorable mention. Your last one. I'm sorry. I didn't oh, mean to cut you yeah, off. My last one is just the whole uh, Zatoichi series. Yeah. The, the, the original classics. Because once again, yeah. yes, like he starts off, he's obviously a Yakuza, but he as like with each film and of the original series, I should mention, I'm only on film number four. I have the box set, uh, but he's it's almost like he starts to live his life more honorably in a sense. Like he's getting away from the Yakuza. Like in the third film, he's going to give up the way of the sword to get uh, married pretty much. And he lives by this much more ethical code than the Yakuza, which is kind of why he's separating himself from them. And it's almost like his own personal Bushido, right? Yeah. Uh, even so much. So he has to go against his own uh, spoiler, his own sensei in the third film mm-hmm. because his sensei has become this kind of corrupt individual. And I just thought, you know, the honorable mention for those, but anywho, let's those get into great this. Honorable mentions. Thank you. Thank you. And I loved yours as well. Let's get into this list. You go first, homie. You're number Wait. five. How much did you love mine? I'm kidding. A lot. Uh, it's like on a scale to one to ten. Oof. I don't know, man. Easily a six? Nah, dog. An eight. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So my 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 list is broken out into types of bushido. Okay. Oh, I so, like that because there is different types of bushido. I was doing some it, research and yes. Yeah. So and 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 more specifically, types of how bushido is showcase to us so the first film i'm going to mention might not actually be the fifth best on the list it's just going to be how i'm going to thematically build this okay so uh it's going to be bushido in its purest most not simplistic but purest form is harakiri and it has been remade before it had before it's been remade but i am referring to the original film 
I think the original the original Japanese title is Seppuku, 1962, directed by Masaki Kobayashi. Mm-hmm. And essentially, and I'm going to read read the brief description. When a ronin requesting seppuku at a feudal lord's palace is told of the brutal suicide of another ronin who previously visited, he reveals how their pasts are intertwined and in doing so challenges the clan's integrity. So for me, it's one of Tatsuya Nakadai's uh, greatest Early film performances, will you you recognize him? He he first uh, came onto the scene in Seven Samurai as an extra for uh, Kurosawa. I think he did one other film before that, and then after that, Kurosawa used him time and time again. And then once uh, once he and Mifune stopped working together, he became his main uh, actor for the main protagonist for his later career films. But it is a marvelous uh, marvelous performance, very emotional the the samurai the ronin shows up nakadai he's in the court it opens up where he is going to commit seppuku and uh he just requests that he has the right to tell the story and so as he tells the story he uh he uh basically doesn't shame the court but he questions like it says their integrity and then he then he follows through with uh, what he promised he would do so it it was between this and Redbeard making the list as to the most pure form of uh, of Bushido, but uh, I feel like this film edges it out. It's been a while since I'd seen both films, but I wanted something that is just essentially a man who who says, "This is what I'm going to do," but I need you to listen. And he he shows where everyone else fell off the path, and then uh, kind of is a wake up call to to the viewers. I love it, and I'd imagine that this film probably doesn't have all that much action in it, correct? Uh, correct. There are flashback sequences, right. but even in the flashback sequences, there is, there's drama, there's sadness, there's, there's sort of that, like, uh, you know, people, we've talked about it, how in the past there's, there's this like intertwined, like sharing between Western films and Eastern films. So there's also intertwined storytelling elements from, Russian writers and Japanese writers that, uh, uh, you know, Kurosawa made a film called The Idiot. He also made some films that are definitely heavily, uh, not homages to Russian writing, but very dramatic. And this, this has that element as well. Wow. Very cool. Uh, I have not seen this one. I'm highly intrigued. I would like to check it out. I think it's an excellent and, uh, first one for the list. And, do you know where people can find this film? It might be on HBO Max simply because they have a ton of classic Japanese cinema on there. But uh, I actually don't know where uh, one can find it. I, I might look that up while we're while we're recording. Oh, no worries. So but obviously- I, don't th- I don't think it's on HBO Max. Otherwise, I would have watched it this oh, okay. week. It's on Prime Video, but you have to rent it. Okay. So there you go, everyone. You can rent it on Prime. Okay. So my number five entry. I believe this has actually made it on one of my Kung Fu Comfort Film lists. Okay. So- and this is why people might find my list a little uh, controversial because it's one of two documentaries I have. Oh, this is great. Yeah. So my first one is, and even the title, people will be like, well, see, it's not Bushido. It's Budo, The Art of uh-huh. Killing, the 1978 highly stylized Japanese martial arts documentary uh, directed and written by Masayoshi Nemoto. So once again, a it's kind of become a cult classic. I, I'll talk briefly about it. 
again, because I'm 99% sure is on one of my Kung Fu comfort film lists. It might be even on your first. Yeah. If not the first, the second. So this is when I remember first watching it with my older brother, I'm pretty sure. Or no, I'd seen it before that, but we used to, it used to be on Showtime a lot from like around 2004 through 2000, I don't know, seven or so. It was just constantly on Showtime. It was like a time filler. So I remember first seeing it at home, but then when I'd go to visit my brother when he was going to school at uh, Cal Poly Pomona, we would constantly watch it. Like it would just always be on and it was just a fun one that he and his friends like to put on. But really it's a very beautifully shot martial arts documentary focusing on not only the martial arts. So this entry is obviously more focused on the physical aspects aspects mm-hmm. of Bushido. But that being said, it also has a lot of connection to Japanese culture and certain mm-hmm. thematic elements that tie directly into Bushido outside of just the physical training of martial arts. So the whole opening scene of the film is uh, Sipaku, the, the yeah. person performing Sipaku, which is obviously very deeply tied within Bushido and, you know, honorable suicide, you know, especially if you've been shamed or this or that, like the, the honorable way to end your life. Uh, and then it goes straight into, and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, a Yabusame, a samurai cavalry battle. And then at the end, there's also a whole, uh, sequence. I mean, and they also focus on, so right after that samurai battle, they focus on the importance of the Nihonto, the sword, like the Japanese sword and how important that is within samurai culture and this and that. So these are all directly tied into, you know, Bushido, the the way of the warrior. And then the film finishes actually with the forging of a sword by a very famous individual from that time named Amada Akitsugo, Akasuku. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. My Japanese pronunciation is terrible. But who who is a very famous sword maker uh, in obviously the late 70s, you know, probably like one of the last of his kind. And then throughout the film, you know, the middle, the the meat and potatoes, as you'd say, uh, is focused on the different martial arts aspects. So we, in which once again, all parts of the samurai in a sense, we have karate. So, I mean, obviously karate came from Okinawa, uh, but there's, you know, still striking arts within the, you know, samurai battlefield uh, mm-hmm. strategy. But then, so we have Aikido, which, you know, mm-hmm. directly comes from Aiki Jiu-Jitsu and the aspects of, you know, using your opponent's momentum against them, which came directly from the battlefield. We have Kendo, mm-hmm. uh, which once again, you know, Japanese swordsmanship. Uh, we've got Judo, which once again is derived from traditional Jiu-Jitsu, Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, the, the battlefield arts. Uh, and then, well, there's Sumo too, which, you know, that's just, you know, part of, once again, Sumo, has a very strict code of ethics and practice, yes. very deeply connected to what I would say is Bushido, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, absolutely. I, I mean, I think like what, what Budo, the art of killing, you know, kind of shows us is essentially that, that is definitely a relatable is, is has its seeds in the Bushido way is the art of practice and refinement. You continue to practice, you continue to refine because that's like, that's, that's what you're, that's your calling. That's how you stay on, 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 on point. And if you're, if your hands aren't idle, if you're always practicing, you are moving closer and staying in line with, with kind of living simply and being ready, which I think are, are elements of, Bushido. 
Nice. Yeah. And the cool thing is, obviously, we have these reenactments at the beginning mm-hmm. uh, with like the samurai battlefield stuff. And I think they're they're interspliced throughout also. Uh, but not only that, then we focus on the modern day. Right. So it's this kind of juxtaposition of this is the traditional which it came from. But this film is also mostly going to focus on the the Gendai Budo, the modern Budo, right? Like the modern martial arts, which come from the ancient ways. And that's why I really like it too, because once again, this modern connection to Bushido that I feel like I have, you have a lot of martial artists have, and this film is focusing a lot on that as well. So that's my first entry. Uh, Great entry. No more time spent on that. Let's go to your next one. What do you got, homie? Okay. So my next one is the fish out of water Bushido. Oh, so the fish out of water Bushido and this is a cheat splash. Yes, there you go. Uh, (laughs) Is uh, the Karate Kid trilogy. Perfect. That was my next one on my list. So we're going to talk about it together. Sounds good. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's, for me, it's it's the it's the fish out of water. It's the American, you know, the the brash American from New Jersey coming out to Los Angeles. So Los Angeles has definitely a different culture than the East Coast. Yep. We know this. And on top of that, he's going to learn uh, kind of deeply, if we include all three films, the Bushido way. And he has to like each step along the way or the martial way, he's each step along the way, he's going to uh, have to dig deeper. Because even in part three, when he's a little too cocky and learns the the wrong way. He has to break through that. So there's this element again of like practice and refinement, but I just liked the idea of, all right, a fish out of water, someone who doesn't know about this Bushido way, we're going to drop him right in and kind of make him swim. And we're going to give him one of the greatest masters on film ever to be his swim teacher in the pool of Bushido. Excellent way of putting it. And so here's the deal. We can talk all day about how the fight scenes from the Karate Kid trilogy don't stand the test of time. Uh, with There was some great performers in there. And obviously, mm-hmm. number three, uh, you know, uh, we had some, some I'd say, some higher level martial arts on display. Absolutely. Excuse me, with Thomas Ian Griffith. But the thing that cannot be de- denied is that, especially the first film... Uh, Karate Kid can be looked at as one of the greatest sports films. And I feel at first I was like, no, I can't put him on there. It's not really the the right thing. I was like, no, it is a hundred percent. Right. Once again, it's my list too. I can do whatever I feel connected with. And it is totally a modern example of Bushido. Uh, And, you know, obviously Budo, but Bushido, because it's the, the way of the warrior, it's, it's evolved from, ancient battlefield type arts. And yes, I know it's Okinawa, it's karate, it's coming that direction, but it's still the same sort of principles, right? Like Miyagi doesn't, and the thing that's great about, especially the first one, and I mean, obviously the third one and the second one, okay, all three, is this dichotomy between following like Bushido and the path and the honorable code of the warrior and then not doing it. So in the first Mm -hmm. film, we have obviously Cobra Kai and John Kreese, totally dismantling the idea of Bushido and focusing just on the violent nature of karate. And number two, we have Chosen, who's been corrupted by jealousy and anger. Mm -hmm. And once again, abandon what he knows is the proper form and etiquette of karate. And then in number three, we get Cobra Kai back and then we just have a psychotic Terry Silver who's going above and beyond in terms of going to the opposite end of what 
a true, you know, honorable warrior should be. So that's yes. a nice thing about these films. Well, you, you know, what's, what's interesting about the, the first two, the first two films definitely does see our, our, our protagonist, Daniel LaRusso having to fight some demons, but the third film, I feel like his opponent isn't Thomas Ian Griffith is played by Terry Silver or Terry Silver played by Thomas mm-hmm. Ian Griffith or, uh, Mike Barnes. Matt Barnes played by Sean Kanan. His opponent is actually himself. He has put himself in this position like, uh, you know, the Terry Silver character is floating around. You know, he invites Terry Silver in. He he invites the pain in. He invites uh, he invites the idea of having to fight in the tournament again. Uh, he's the one who's pursuing this because he's his own opponent, which is in many re- many reasons why I included all three films. Because obviously, the first two films, I would say, are classic or borderline classic. The third film does have, you know, you know, this happens a lot with trilogies where there might be a slight drop off. With all due respect to the film itself, but it actually has like the hero, the hero's journey. Ah, you took the words right from my mouth. Earlier I was thinking, I was like, make sure and use the hero's journey. You beat me to it. Well, there you I'll I'll tag, tag you in. Excellent. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's this, the path to mastery, the path to self mastery and the path to a balanced life is never a straight line. Mm, Right. I love it. And if it is, you're probably not doing something correctly or maybe you are not expanding your horizons enough right it's like Mm -hmm. i mean like the whole siddhartha idea right oh Mm -hmm. let's protect our son and keep him locked up and give him all the pleasures of life and eventually you know he's got to leave that and go on his own journey and then we get the buddha and everything else so the hero's journey is always going to have obstacles and that's how you evolve, and that's how you become a better person. In this case, maybe a better warrior. I I, I I couldn't agree with more with you more. And I actually might go back and listen to this part of the episode, take notes, and then in a few months, quote this episode as part of the movie quote. Oh, oh, oh man, oh man! Now we're we're getting uh, super reflexive. Meta, meta, yeah. <laughs> so cool. I mean, I'm glad we have that one together. And yeah, originally I was thinking just number one, but really it's so it's a fluid kind of involvement yeah. of Daniel LaRusso, both in the physical skills and the mental skills. And I think it's a great display of Bushido. So now it, your yes. next entry. My next entry is the Bushido arc. So this one is the, you know, we did the fish out of water. Now it's the person who believes that they're following the Bushido path, but then has to kind of go deeper and to, to emerge oh. on the other side. Oh, I thought you were talking about a movie, the Bushido arc, where it's just a bunch of different martial artists collected on an arc because the planet's going to flood. Yes. They're two, they're two, they're, there's two, two, a couple each for each martial arts. <laughs> the sumos uh, though, man, you know, it was uh, hard to feed them. Um, so the Bushido arc mm-hmm. for me, uh, I went, I, uh, went over to Hong Kong for this film, went to Samuel Hung directing. And I went to, I selected Prodigal Son. So real quick. Yes, please. This was the curveball I was kind of talking about at the beginning. So when I saw Gavin's list, I was like, what? You can't have the Prodigal Son. We're talking about Bushido, Japanese martial arts, Japanese martial code. But then I thought, no, wait, you totally can. Because once again, 
it's the self-interpretation of what Bushido means to you and how it can be represented within any sort of art form. And just because, yes, this is obviously a film that focuses on Chinese martial arts, there is also obviously a code of ethics and honor found within traditional Chinese martial arts. Mm -hmm. And in here, Gavin feels it's a good display for the elements of Bushido, even if this film is obviously, quote unquote, not a Bushido, about Bushido. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's a really cool it's a really it's really cool that you picked this movie because my instinctive thing was like no you can't do that because for yeah, me I, I set the opposite role where it had to be somehow like japanese kind of martial mm-hmm. arts related but i'm glad you went out on a limb and did this so i'm really excited to hear your reasoning so i i, I well i appreciate that i think uh for me i wanted what is the best example of someone who is a novice and isn't just a fish out of water, but someone who believes that they are a a master of martial arts, a master of kung fu, and then having to be humbled, extremely humbled, and then doing whatever they can to seek out uh, to seek out the proper path that is exemp- that is exemplified in the film by Yun Biao's eventual master, uh, and you know. That's why I chose Prodigal Son. It is essentially the the actual character arc. So often we see films where there's a character that is fully developed and, you know, walking the path of, of Bushido, like, you know, Blade of the Immortal is someone right. who was, you know, sort of an anti-hero forced into it, but is walking that path because he has to. Uh, there are, you know, we... I just talked about Daniel LaRusso and Karate Kid sort of being the fish out of water. So someone who wasn't seeking the past and the path was forced upon him. This is a, this is a character who, uh, who thought he was on the path only to realize he was, he was even further off the path than a fish out of water. He was deeper in the trenches uh, than, than LaRusso ever was because he had to unlearn everything and break through. And I think one of the, one of the great, emotional scenes in any martial art film for me two of the great scenes actually happen in prodigal son the first is when he gets on his knee to serve uh Lam Chi ying uh t mm-hmm. and the second is when he faces off with frankie chan when frankie chan who he himself his character is also a prodigal son shows that he has removed his rings and therefore given up his uh his entitlement to fight and Yun Biao is past that and he no longer is concerned about his his opponent's uh, his opponent's uh status in life. He is there for righteousness and he is composed, he has self-control, he is following through on his duty. And for me, this character, while not while a gong fu practitioner emulates everything we would want to emulate or I would want to emulate in my life as someone who, if I thought I was on the path and wasn't and had this breakthrough and then had to work exponentially difficult uh, to be trained and to finally learn the path. Uh, for me, this, this is Yun Biao's portrayal Samuel Hung's direction is what 
it shows us what the Bushido path is like going from below a neutral. So fish out of water is at the neutral spot. This person's below the neutral spot and has to work his way up and through. And uh, yeah, so that that's my explanation and justification for why it's on my list. Well, I love it. And also you, you kind of opened my eyes to the fact that once again, bringing up the hero's journey, totally within this film, you and Bial's character is simply trying to uh, follow uh, Lung Yitai's, uh the Lam Ching character to learn martial arts, the physical, mm-hmm. like the training, the fighting, right? That's all he has on his mind. But little does he know he's going to evolve as a man as well yes. throughout. And his perspective on life and what he deems most important is going to change and he's going to mature. And I think it's an excellent choice. And I think it's also great for us to bring up that Chinese martial arts, and I don't know why it's not talked about more, maybe because it's just not as ingrained in the culture. And a lot of that can obviously be due to the fact, I mean, communist revolution, a lot of traditional Chinese culture was eliminated. That's just part of what goes with it. But Chinese martial arts has a similar idea. Excuse me. Uh, so Wu is in Wushu Wu the, which is like martial ethics, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, but I feel like maybe it's just not as ingrained in m- the more modern martial arts uh, of China. And by more modern, I mean even from the 1800s on. I feel like maybe that's more of an element that's tied closer to like classic wuxia novels and stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. the night knights of errantry and stuff and of the past, but. I think that's an excellent choice, and I approve. Thank you very much. Okay, so my next one is actually a film we talked about pretty darn recently, and I okay. just couldn't not have it on the list uh, uh, because I just think that uh, Black Belt, Kurobi, yeah, is an incredible... We talked about how much we love this film, but the reason I I had to have it on there is, once again, love it. You know, from the last 20 years, it's one of the best martial arts films made, and... It's a great display of not just the physical aspects aspects of their karate, but also the spiritual aspects. And once again, the different paths they take and what Bushido means to each of our main protagonists. So, and it's not a good versus evil thing necessarily. Yes, uh, our uh, character played by Naka Sensei, uh, Taikan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Naka Tatsuya, the actor slash Shotokan karate master that plays the character. He goes a path of his interpretation of karate and like what their master taught them was that he should be challenging everyone else and making his karate the best it is. And and it's not so much – I don't get the vibe from him that he's like evil. It's just that's the warrior's code to him is Mm -hmm. constantly striving to be the best and fight against the best in order to – authentically represent himself as a warrior and as a martial artist and to overall improve the martial arts in general by testing himself against other uh, martial arts enthusiasts, right? Other karate masters. Whereas our other character uh, played by Suzuki sensei uh, or uh, Yuji Suzuki or Suzuki Yuji uh, Mm -hmm. Choi, 
And once again, their styles are also different. In real life, he's a Gojo-ru practitioner. His interpretation of Bushido is living like the Mr. Miyagi style, peaceful life, avoiding conflict, not striking one's opponent like his sensei taught him. So he can defensively beat people without striking. But his path is completely different in his interpretation. And it's the struggles they both find. So Choi finds in his journey that he's too soft. It's like yin and yang, right? And, you know, he needs to fight back at some points. Whereas we obviously see with Taikon, he's going too extreme and fighting too often and they're both lacking balance in their life. And in terms of Bushido, they are both honor. They're, they are honestly expressing their interpretation and belief and holding steadfast but then they also find once again we get this hero's journey we get this involvement of their characters that they both have to meet in the middle to truly represent their sensei's teachings and to find that true sense of bushido the way of the warrior this is a fantastic choice uh really great to have on this list because you know as much as like you and i obviously have some alignment on the list to have two characters and one might be an antagonist, one the protagonist, but maybe they're both protagonists. It's just fantastic to have this on the list because they, it shows how people can interpret a code differently and grow one element over another element. And it's a perfect choice for this list. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, I mean, once again, everybody go back and listen to the episode we uh, did on this a couple months ago, but I'm going to leave it at that. So now, uh, your second to last entry entry. So my second to last entry, uh, if you thought prodigal son was controversial, I would say perhaps I won't say this is controversial, but I'm going to call it Bushido noir. Ah, city hunter. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm going with Akira Kurosawa's high and low, which is a kidnap ransom film. It's based on an Ed McBain like dime novel that Kurosawa took from being kind of a cheap read with all due respect to Ed McBain. But I think, I think Ed McBain would be okay calling his work cheap reading. Okay. Uh, and took it to the highest level. Uh, and so what I like about this film is everything, but where the Bushido element comes in is the portrayal. Well, oh my goodness. It's just, the portrayal of three of the main characters, but mostly of Mifune as the shoe salesman who, uh, wow, I don't even know how to unbox this because, and I should, because this is on the top of my list, right? But there's just so, almost every scene has so many elements of what the Bushido code is. And it really percolates because it's in that film noir setting. So Mifune gets a phone call. So real quick, just to clarify for those of us that haven't seen it, it is set. It's a contemporary film set in the 60s, set in the 60s. And it is done the film noir style. Yes. So it's basically technically if it's the 1960s, would it be neo noir? It might be neo noir Bushido. Oh, yeah. All right. Here we go. So essentially it is. uh, uh, Mifune is uh, is playing uh, an executive at a shoe company. Okay. His son is out playing with the chauffeur, his chauffeur's son, hide and seek, or cops and robbers. He gets a phone call. His son has been kidnapped. He's panicking. Get the money ready. And then his son walks in the room. His son hasn't been kidnapped. 
okay, so it was just a bad prank. Oh, guess what? It was the chauffeur's son kidnapped. So now he has to make the decision as to whether or not he will put up the ransom for the chauffeur's son, right? So this is film noir and Bushido like packed in together. Real quick, Gavin, once again, be great to have the visual element. Gavin saw a look on my face. 99% sure I watched this in undergrad. Like it started coming back to me. I could visually uh-huh. see it. So now I have to go back and rewatch this, but keep going. So the so it's, the film is in, essentially in three parts. One is how... Mifune's character is slowly brought down. You know, he was going to make a big deal at the shoe company. Uh, some executives, they wanted to get rid of the, the president. They all wanted to bring their stocks together and kick him out and make shoes that uh, are more fashionable. So they bring go to Mifune, who's one of the major stockholders. And he's like, absolutely not. The way you make your shoes are cheap. I want shoes that are fashionable and durable so people don't have to continue to buy them a couple times a year. So he also has this code of of being honorable right from the get-go. So the money he was going to use to buy stock, he then now has to use to get the show for his son. Uh, the second portion of the film is the money exchange scene. Uh, they, you go from long 15-minute takes to one of the fastest edited sequences on the bullet train on a bullet train where he has to shove, you know, spoiler alerts. There's some spoiler alerts in here, shove money off of a train uh, for kid, the kidnappers to get the money. And then eventually the chauffeur's son reemerges. The third part of the film becomes a police procedural. Now uh, you might say, well, what, aren't we starting to slip away from where the Bushido code is? Well, the two police officers played by Mifune and uh, oh my goodness, uh, I'm going to have to cheat. I'm going to cheat right now. Cheater, and cheater. I said, Pumpkin eater. Kurosawa. Uh, and I said, Mifune, I meant Nakadai. Uh, and the other cop is uh, Shimura. I'm going to look it up who was in some of his famous films. Um, Kurosawa's film, I think most notably Ikiru and also Seven Samurai. Um, uh, 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 yes, Kimura. Anyway, back on track, they go and visit Mifune's character a few times. They see how he's lost everything. And yet when it comes to like even the scene where he has to hide the money or hide like a, a pellet so that the police can track the the briefcases, should they be burned or put in the water? He shows them how to do it. He's like, you know, he's a he's a super rich guy. Now he's getting on his hands and knees and he's like, you know doing his uh, duty to help the police, but also help get the money back. And meanwhile, the police, the two detectives are looking at him and now they are called to, to uh, they have a call of duty to make sure if this man is doing this, paying for a show for a son that isn't even his son. Now we're going to follow through. And it's, it's a great police procedural. And I wanted to, you know, with the, with the fish out of water, Bushido showing, showing, Bushido in the modern world, in modern America, Western America, 1980s America, through the late 80s, early 90s, I wanted to show how the Bushido code could be applied in sort of like the most strenuous city setting. And of course, for when it comes to film, there's nothing that is more strenuous or heated than noir or neo-noir. So that's why I've chose this film as my number two on the list. Again, it could have been an honorable mention, but it just... it. For me, it's it's one of my top three films on any given day, not every given day. Yeah, and uh, 
it just the way the main three characters conduct themselves. I mean, obviously they have, uh, you know, they cut their, they cut their teeth doing a lot of, uh, samurai films for Kurosawa and for others and Yakuza films. Uh, so they, they, their characters, you know, they, I feel like you kind of pick up that kind of code. You pick up that posture that someone who is living the Bushido code, uh, carries with them. And just to see it in that city setting shows us or shows me that, okay, I might not be living in feudal period, in feudal periods, whether in, in Europe or Asia, anywhere around the world. I, I am living in a modern city, but I too can still follow through with the Bushido code. I love it. That's, I think this is the one I'm most excited about to go back and rewatch. Fantastic choice. I really like that. I like it's a contemporary film. Once again, not martial arts related at all, but still deeply connected to Bushido. Okay. All right. So ready for my Um, next one? Absolutely. So this is my second documentary on the list. I've talked about this film a lot. I don't think it's made for my comfort list, but it might have, because it's definitely one of my top comfort films. It may have actually made it. And it is the strongest karate, AKA fighting black Kings. Oh, which is, did it make the list or did it not make the list? We've spoken about yeah. this, but I don't know if it made the list. It may, it may or may not have. It's from, I'm 99% sure there's some involvement from, uh, Budo, the art of killing that same mm-hmm. team. But what this mm-hmm. film is, and I'm gonna make it quick just cause you know, we're, we're, we're getting there in time, but it's a film that showcases the very first world Kyokushin championships in Japan. Mm-hmm. And so this film really doesn't have anything in terms of going deep into Japanese culture like Budo did in the sense of like the way of the samurai or any of those elements or, you know, the more spiritual side of the martial arts. Uh, There's obviously some demonstrations of kata, but the reason why I think it's an essential pick for my list is because what it's showing is it's showing the modern day warrior. And there's a great quote in it where the narrator yes. says, uh, oh, I, I wrote it down on my phone. I'm, I mean, I'm 99% sure I'm going to get it right, but I want to just make sure. When talking about the American delegates that are going to be going and fighting, for them, karate is life itself. Mm. And I think it's a great example of how you have all these participants from around the world. Once again, it was the first world championship. So America, Canada, all over Europe, South Africa, uh, all over, you know, different countries in Asia, Indonesia, obviously. I mean, they have delegates from Hong Kong and then obviously the Japanese team and then just so many. And they get to showcase the training in a lot of these different countries. And you see how everybody like their life revolves around karate and training. They have dedicated themselves to this art form. They are striving for perfection and to be the best they can. And they all display the honorable kind of code of when they're fighting. Yes, Kyokushin is full contact, bare knuckle karate, but you even see it. There's no cheap shots. There's no smack talk. It's like even Mm -hmm. when... Yes, and I understand that the the Chinese delegates that are picked from uh, delegates that are picked from Hong Kong <laughs> totally they obviously were set up to lose, uh-huh. and even the documentary makes them like kung fu is a beautiful art, but it is just that 
like performance in his week. We, we talked this about on one this. of your visits. I, the first time I saw this was when you visited. Yeah, I think one of your first visits, and yeah, they were set up to lose. They were set up uh, yeah. to lose. I mean, and, all, and also, it's open weight, so it, it didn't matter when you know <laughs> your size. Everyone was fine together, but. That being said, even in that situation, like there's the one time where you see the Japanese fighter, you know, knock out or knock down one of the Chinese fighters. He can't get back up. He has a slight smirk on his face, but still very honorable and like, you know, goes down on his knees. And so you see this. It's like the modern day battling of samurai in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I I just love how it shows the, the, the hardcore training, especially we get a lot with the American team, how like two of them. They work part time and train full time. You know, yep. they are constantly devoting themselves to this art form to be the best they can to be modern day warriors. Right. Bushido way of the warrior. And with that, although there's not as much focus on, you know, not, obviously none of these people are going to perform sipaku if they lose. However, Masuyama, if I'm not mistaken, did say that if a Japanese fighter didn't win the first world tournament, he was going to perform sipaku. He, don't uh-huh. worry. He obviously didn't because a Japanese fighter won, spoiler alert. But I just think it's a great display for, obviously, this is purely the martial arts side, how hard these guys train, how much of their life, if not their entire life, is devoted to karate and training and being the best they can be. And it's a great uh, example of uh, Gendai Budo, right? Modern yes. Budo, yes. modern Bushido also, because it's not just like, hey, I'm casually training and this, or like even you look at, so many incredible UFC fighters, they have that same training aspect, but they mm-hmm. are lacking all of the ethics of Bushido, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, hey, if you're top UFC champion or you have been, cool. I mean, that takes a lot. But also at the same time, me as a martial artist, I respect the honor side, like something like George St. Pierre brought to the cage. I mean, hey, there's other fighters in the past that have had the complete opposite and become champions. You know, that's their well, path. But you cannot it, call that like Bushido, right? Because no, they absolutely. lack the ethics. It's, it's, it's like uh, it's like the path that uh, you know Sensei Benny the Urquidas mm-hmm. Benny the Jet Urquidas walked, you know, and how he treated uh, you know his opponents uh, after fights. I mean, it just there's this uh, compassion and respect that's shared between uh, opponents, and you know that's that's uh, you know I, I think this is a really great film because you know just just like I was trying to show that Bushido the Bushido way can exist within a modern city these are this is a documentary about gentlemen who lived like you said full time training part time work because this was so important to them and it's such a great documentary it's so yeah. fun to watch it's it's a great time capsule find you can find it on Amazon Prime under the Fighting Black Kings title but you have to buy i mean i bought it at least once again sometimes films you're able to rent or buy and then you can't later on mm-hmm. but i bought it a few years back so definitely i suggest everyone check it out find fighting black kings or, or the strongest i'm pretty sure the only english language version is under fighting black kings even mm-hmm. though once you hit play it, it doesn't even have that as the title it's the strongest yeah. karate but a great display of modern bushido mm-hmm. dedicating yourself to an art form and having honorable warrior ethics okay so now your final entry on the list Let's my hear final it. my final entry falls under the 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 framework of bushido deconstruction oh so sort of sort of it's well not sort of it is essentially a film that seems to go against the tide of what uh bushido is okay and then at the very end, you see that, oh, it is actually the most Bushido it could be. Oh. Uh, so it's 
Again, Akira Kurosawa. You're about to bushi blow my mind. That's right. Yo Jimbo, starring Toshiro Mifune. So as most people should know, it's been it's been remade a few times. Uh, or you should have, or maybe people have seen the classic. It is about a samurai, a ronin, a master of the samurai, who comes to a town that is warring, that has two, two factions warring. One controls the sake, and I think the other controls the maybe the rice. I... I am maybe messing that up. If I am, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. All I'm going to say is he comes into town and he plays like he is unscrupulous and he goes back and forth between the two mobs, uh, trying to gain, uh, trying to, he's trying to cause a fight and to break them so that they will no longer have the stranglehold on the town. It showcases the decrepit nature of people seeking power. It showcases, uh, there's a, there's a moment of peace during the film when a, when a, uh, uh, a magistrate visits and it kind of showcases how corruption and people are paying off and facades. And it just, it's really a fantastic film. Uh, it, uh, it has some of the greatest lines in, in, uh, cinematic history, at least in, uh, uh, for me, uh, some of the great lines when he's, when Mifune is, has been trapped, uh, he is trying to escape and, uh, his captors tell him, he's like, where am I? He's like, you're at the gates of hell. And then, uh, as he tries to escape, he's like, you're, and if you go that way, you're entering hell in Japanese, it's Jigoku Ichome and that's Jigoku Nichome. So in, in, in Japan, uh, addresses have like first section of this district and second sec- section of that district. So there's some great lines that are translated wonderfully and also, uh, uh, written wonderfully. But at the end of the day, it's about the code that Mifune's character, uh, Sanjuro, uh, lives as he tries to help purify uh, a town for no other reason than he is just called to do it. And it's a very unique calling and it's so well done. He doesn't uh, almost uh, biblical in a sense. Yeah. Calling. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, you know, beforehand you asked me, what does Bushido mean? And I, I kind of read off a list that was, as I said, I pulled right from uh, Sean Kanan's book because I just happened to be on that chapter as I was trying to blast through the book. And uh, you know, it, it hits every note, but it's also such a smart film he, they, Kurosawa knows the audience, knows this, knows the samurai code so well, knows the Bushido code so well that he's, he's turning it on its head. We talked about, we talked about films that kind of deconstruct the mold, like Dragons Forever, where all of a sudden your, your, your lead characters are anti-heroes and then they slowly become heroes. In this case, he is a reluctant hero. But yet, why is he staying there? So it, it, there is this calling that's underneath and it's just like tugging at him the whole time. And it, there's some great sword sequences, fantastic fight sequences. But I mean, this is for me at the end of the day, as you'll see from my list, it's not necessarily about the fight sequences. It's about the story and the story arc. So that that's my number one entry, Yojimbo. I love it. And that one definitely is on HBO Max right now. That one yes, I've watched in more recent years. I love this film. I think it's a great number one entry. 
and then you obviously mentioned being remade numerous times. Nothing's as good as the original, but I'll throw out two contemporary remakes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one of the most famous ones is Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. which is a mm-hmm. Western remake of it. But then in the 70s, Sonny Chiba made his own version of it called yes. Karate Warriors, which was a contemporary version of it. Same storyline, almost to a T. So... Yeah, I love it, man. All right. I, I think it's actually, it might be based on, I think, Dashiell Hammett's short story, Red Harvest, or else Raymond Chandler's Red Harvest. I'm going with Dashiell Hammett. Okay. And uh, Kurosawa sort of adapted that. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Clint Eastwood also did a remake. And that, that might be Pale Rider, but I could, oh. again, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, although there's a lot of bad bathwater yeah. in this <laughs> Tell you tub. what, anybody that maybe know, hit us up on Twitter or Instagram on our post for this episode. And after you listen, let us know. So, are you ready for my number one entry? I am very All much right. ready. So, this one might get me canceled by some people. Totally understand. This film is... In more recent years, a bit controversial. It's been thrown in with a series of type of films that are kind of given uh, harsh criticism, sometimes rightfully so. In my opinion, this film is not – it is not rightfully so. But once again, I respect everybody's personal interpretation and that's the thing we have to remember is everybody goes into everything in life with their own experience and their own mm-hmm. background, which leaves them open to interpret things in a much different light. So – I 100% respect your decision if you do not like this film. And I hope you respect my decision for absolutely loving this film as it's one of my all-time favorite films. Gavin's smiling because he probably knows what it is. My number one pick for (laughs) films about Bushido is the 2003 Edward Zwick directed The Last Samurai. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was was waiting for No Retreat, No Surrender (laughs) 2. So, no, obviously, The Last Samurai. Fair. Uh, I, that's been, out of left field, by the way. I was not anticipating that. And that is, I absolutely, I understand the preamble. Yes. But come on, that this, this is the fish out of water, but on the largest scale. This is, this right. is, a, this is, I'm stepping on your words, but I, I love this. I love this pick because it's fish out of water. Plus, it's my Karate Kid and Prodigal Son lumped into into one film. This is a fantastic journey. Yeah. And so to let people know what what's happened is in more recent years, this has been kind of thrown into the mix of films that are pretty much accused of having the white savior narrative. So in other words, the white protagonist comes into an area of a cultural minority, you know, learns their culture, saves their culture, does their culture better than them, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, kind of enforcing this idea of Western imperialism and Western ideologies and, you know, kind of minorities being submissive to Western thought, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel I'll argue this film till the day I die because I feel like it's the exact opposite. And I feel when you watch it, it is not Tom Cruise's character coming in and teaching the Japanese how to be better warriors, teaching them, you know, oh, and helping these helpless victims and leading them to victory, et cetera. No, it is is quite the opposite. My interpretation of this film is Tom Cruise's character does not save them. They save him through teaching him Bushido, the way of the warrior. 
Uh, and what great teachers he has, yes. like as as counterpart actors, but also the characters written so well. Right. And so for people that don't know, the film is set shortly after the Civil War. Japan is modernizing. They want to bring in Western military experts to modernize their army. Tom Cruise is a former general or commander in, you know, the, the Union Army that is suffering from severe PTSD because he had been very what appears to be close with Native American cultures, but then his unit is forced to massacre an entire innocent village just because those are the orders from the top. He participates and it's tormented him to the, the this current time where the story starts. He's an alcoholic. He has night terrors would be the best way to put it. He's just, you know, wanting to die pretty much. He has no reason to live. And it's uh, it, once again, then there was I was reading some criticism about, oh, yeah, the, the you know, the Union Army saving the minorities. I'm like, no, I, that's not even a focus of the story. And obviously it's actually showing the opposite. It's showing how cruel mm-hmm. war can be and how wrong they were. That's the whole thing. They massacred an innocent Native American village like. And so he goes over to Japan. He takes the job reluctantly because it's a crap ton of money. Obviously, he has nothing to live for. In one of the first battles against the, and once again, historically, not 100% accurate. And that's another criticism. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, you know, actually the samurai, you know, weren't even in the right necessarily in this. I'm like, okay, let's not focus on that. It's technically historical fiction. So the Japanese <laughs> army, the, the samurais are revolting. They do mm-hmm. not want to modernize at this pace. They do not think it's right for Japan. So they are uprising against the emperor. So in their first battle, the even though Tom Cruise tells them, hey, we're not ready yet. They lose and Tom Cruise is captured. He's brought back to the Samurai's village and he's forced to stay there for like six months because of the weather, weather, excuse me, Mm -hmm. you know, being stuck there because the path being frozen over. And in that time, he is technically their prisoner, but, you know, they treat him with great respect. He starts to learn the way of the Samurai. He starts to learn the uh, traditional aspects of being a Samurai, Japanese culture. He's learning Bushido. And in this time period... He is starting to find a new purpose in life. Mm -hmm. He was straight up wanting to die, suicidal, had nothing to live for. He comes in Japanese, this Japanese, this idea of Bushido is literally bringing him back to life, saving him, you know? And once again, he is not like better than them. He sucks. At one point, he manages to fight to a draw with uh, Haruyuki Sanada as the sword mm-hmm. instructor. It is fantastic that, that's in this film. That's one of my favorite scenes. It's not, uh, yeah, exactly. Film. It's not like he's beating everyone. You know, the jujitsu guy like puts him in a leg lock super easily. You know, he does teach them Western warfare, because they have to go up against a now Western trained army. So, yes. and it's, it, I, I don't like this idea of he's going in there and saving them. No, because they technically lose the battle. Yes, Tom mm-hmm. Cruise's character lives, but they lose the battle. But what they gain in return is honor and, in a sense, like immortality, right? Dying with honor. And even, you know, Tom Cruise, once again, spoiler alert, Ken Watanabe, the leader of the samurai army, you know, asked him to help him perform Sipaku on the battlefield to let him die with honor. And at first Tom Cruise is like, no, I can't do that. But he, he realizes this for him is the honorable way to die. This is his way to go. And so by the end of the film, Tom Cruise has a new lease on life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathan Algren, that's his character. I just remembered. And so captain Algren has a new lease on life. And that is directly from 
learning Bushido, the way of the warrior. He learns the martial aspect. He learns the way of the Japanese sword. Obviously, we said some unarmed stuff, but he also learns their way of life. And there's a lot of great spots where he's narrating because he takes a journal and he's he he talks about specifically how the samurai devote themselves to every task in their daily life. Mm-hmm. Everything is taken so seriously and in the best kind of way, right? It's not like overstressing. It's just you do everything to perfection almost. You strive to do everything to the best of your abilities. And I feel like it's a great example of Bushido from both sides, from Mm -hmm. the martial aspect and then kind of the internal aspect, the the emotional aspect of it. Mm-hmm. He learns, obviously, you know, he has to learn how to, there's a sequence where he doesn't know how to really dress himself. He's like, what is this? You know, and he, the, the way of the warrior, the way of the samurai brings him back to life. And once again, this is my interpretation of it. And this is a great thing. Quite often with psychoanalytic criticism in film, I feel like we're only directly looking at the filmmakers themselves, the writer, the director, and how perhaps their upbringing and inner psyche is affecting the film. But we, from an audience perspective, it's also equally as important because your interpretation of this film can be totally different. You know, you could be raised perhaps as like an Asian American that felt they were constantly seeing this white savior narrative and be totally frustrated. The interesting part is Ken Watanabe was asked about it last year. Oh, you know, in retrospect, do you feel it was bad and was the white savior in every? He said, no, not at all. He thought it was a great representation of, you know, Asians on screen and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that was his interpretation, right? But for yeah. me, my personal interpretation, because I've talked about this many times on the podcast, how the martial arts have saved my life so many times. Not in a, I've been jumped in the streets, just given me guidance, given me courage to do things, helped me through really tough times. And in this case, Bushido is saving the Captain Algren character's life. It is giving him a new purpose. He is not appropriating the culture either. And I would, I just don't think that argument is fair to make in a sense of cultural appropriation. He, because once again, as I said, it's not like he comes in and he's better than everyone. Oh my gosh, he's a prodigy, right? Well, no, he's just learning, appreciating and paying respect to it. And they become his brothers by the end. Mm -hmm. You know, he is one of them. He is a part of the group. And yes, on the battlefield, he does quite well. But once again, he also had a lot of battlefield experience. So for me, this film, I love this film. It, the soundtrack also is phenomenal. Oh my gosh. Hans Zimmer, right? (laughs) Uh, It's just, I I constantly listen to it. It pumps me up uh, and just inspires me. And I just feel that this is one of the best representations of Bushido that's very digestible for pretty much any culture. And I I feel it's a great example of how these code of ethics can change your life for the best, no matter how deep into depression, how lost you may feel. There's always a way out. And in this case, it's showing how Bushido can be that way out. You know, this is a, this is a really great entry because it does, it, it does make on a very large Hollywood uh, scale, Bushido tangible, you mm-hmm. know, and it came out in the nineties, early 2000s, 2003, 2003. So, I mean, it, it's, you know, what, what, what karate kid and we referenced that film earlier did in 85, the eighties, 80, 84 through 89. Uh, this helped do again and kind of go deeper. And what's, what's interesting as, as I'm hearing you talk about this film, I'm like, have we, 
have we really cracked the nut of what Bushido filmmaking is or have we scratched the surface? And either way, I'm really excited to jump into these films. I'm going to jump into your like, um, into your audible mention, but I'm, I'm going to go back and rewatch. I think that's the first thing I'm going to do is rewatch the last samurai because I only saw it once and I saw it in the theaters and I remember it being like a huge Epic. Save it. Come watch it when we come up here. Cause I have it on okay. Blu-ray and I've actually, okay. I don't think I've ever cracked open the Blu-ray. Okay. So we'll, I'd love to watch that one together just cause it's that such sound, a great that sounds like a plan flick. To me. And once again, I totally appreciate the perspective of if you feel this is the white savior narrative, you don't like this film. I respect that for me, for my personal interpretation, it's, it's quite the opposite. He is not saving them. They are saving him and him learning the martial arts, him learning Bushido, the way of the warrior, this whole new culture. He is, it's, it's cultural appreciation, not appropriation. And that's my personal interpretation. Is that going to be the hashtag when we uh, (laughs) put up this? Absolutely not. (laughs) But as I said, uh, I've, I've discussed this film with people no. that see it the exact same way as me and people that don't. And I love discussing film. That's film well, that, criticism. And exactly, not, you know, people can love one thing and other people not. So anywho, this, this, this is like the longest episode we've recorded in a, of this a, year or in like in a, a year and a half. Definitely yeah. this year. But well, there's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hefty topic and to take on these, to take on this, it's, it's kind of, uh, there's so much up for interpretation, but this, I, I'm really kind of excited after this and I, I, I'm going to dive back into these films. I also had to dive back into Harakiri or Seppuku, uh, cause it had been a while since I'd seen it. My, my number five entry yeah. for this and- list. And also, most likely, this is going to be the first week where I'm going to start dropping the episodes on Wednesday. I so, like that. Yeah. So that's going to be our new day. Uh, anywho, I think both of our lists, excuse me, our lists were great. This was such an amazing episode. Because once again, when we're at this point at, what, 85 minutes almost, and we're oh. still on top of our game, that's how you know how excited we are. But we can, excuse me, cannot get out of language corner for this episode. Did you bring anything? I did bring something. I knew you would. Okay. Okay. So it, it's a saying. It's, uh, I'm going to say the whole thing. Saru mo kikara ochiru. Saru. Saru. Mo. Mo. Ki. Ki. Kara. Kara. Ochiru. Ochiru. Even the monkey falls from trees. So oh. saru mo kikara ochiru. Even, even a monkey falls from trees. So even, and I, I've heard a couple of interpretations. The first basic interpretation is even someone skilled can fall occasionally. I've also heard the interpretation that you get back up. Right. And heard uh, there are a lot of interpretations when it comes to well, my, proverbs like this. Yeah, my initial interpretation was even if you're really good at something, you can still mess up once in a while. That's, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That that's I think that's the initial interpretation. That's the one I always hold on to. Like, well, you know, when I make a little mistake, Sarumo Kikara Ochiru. Nice. I love it. That's a great one. And I am going to do a tiny bit of language corner because by the time this episode releases, Chinese New Year will have officially started. So uh-huh. Chinese New Year is uh this Sunday, January 22nd. It will be the year of the rabbit, which is very important to me because twofold. I was born in the year of the rabbit. I am the rabbit. That is my fight name. This is going to be a very great year for me. I'm starting it off already on a very positive note. So I had mentioned a couple episodes back when I taught us how to say Happy New Year. So, which is perfect. Like New Year, Happy. You could totally still say that. That's fine. But uh, what I'm going to teach us is how to say the actual. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say the actual, but uh, for the spring festival 
or the official like Chinese, it's it's gonna end in Kuala. So same thing. So so it so it's technically C H U N. It's it's one of those weird pinions that's uh, it's kind of hard because it's a middle one. Close. Yeah, Jie is like comes after a holiday, just means like yeah, so I like it. And then right. a really easy one. Soy soy ping an. Soy soy ping an. Very good. That just means like peace and prosperity all year. Oh, You're really I like saying that. like year, year, peace, safe. So soy soy ping an. Soy soy ping an. So like for me, because even chuan jie kuai le is like harder for me to say. Yeah. Uh, so I'll usually say xin nian kuai le, soy soy ping an. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I mean, you know, it's, it yeah, kind of, yeah. you were kind of all hitting high notes there. But uh, <laughs> well, and obviously, the, the famous one people always know in Cantonese is Gong Hei Fat Choi. Yes, Gong Hei Fat Choi. In Mandarin, Gong Xi Fat Chai. Gong Xi Fat Chai. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so I okay. mean, so like, for example, when I like around Chinese New Year, when I'll see people, I'll just do the, the whole barrage. I just hit them fast. Because once again, <laughs> with Chinese, it's one of those languages where the faster you speak it, the better they understand you because it flows and they're not worried about hitting the, the necessarily the right. Because my tones yes. are are often, I just learned them. I don't remember them textbook, what they should mm-hmm. technically be. So I'll just hit them really fast with all of them. And I'll, uh, you know, people will be like, oh, and I'll be like, oh, 春节快乐, 新年快乐, 所以所以平安, 恭喜发财. <laughs> I just do them all. So, uh, oh, that's great. I yeah. love it. Yeah. So if, if I am in LA for the, and once Chinese again, because it's the year of the rabbit, I'm trying to hit up LA's uh, Chinese New Year Festival next Saturday. Uh, so that'd be Saturday the 28th. So if you mm-hmm. anybody's going to be there, hit us up. I'd love to hang out with anybody in uh, Chinatown. Then I'm also going to do San Francisco the next weekend because the San Francisco one's famous. It's like one of the biggest in the world. And now that we're almost at 90 minutes, I wonder if we should cut this into two episodes. Nah. No, no. Do it. Yeah. Let it ride. We'll let it ride, baby. Anywho, this has been amazing. This has been awesome. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, it's yeah. really fun to dive into this. I'm looking forward to our next one too. Right. And here's to the year of the rabbit and prosperity for everyone and making this the best, the best year in a long time. I mean, 2022 things, you know, we're finally kind of, I feel like this year things are going to get back to normal. Yeah. We might be heading into a recession, but you know what? At least we have our health and our happiness and let's do awesome things. Sounds good to me. Oos. Oos. All righty. I will talk to you soon, my friend. Take care.